What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fitness Oracle. To, in this episode, we sit down with John Giordano, who is a program director of South Beach Detox, and we talk about a lot of really interesting stuff when it comes to anxiety, to depression, to um, mental health, to addictions, to nutrition, and how it all intertwines into one big giant glob. And I'm really blown away because this is a guy who's been there and done that. He's with drugs, alcohol, you name it. And who's been in the rut, started off with $300 in his pocket and sold his company for $45 million. And this is a guy who who had suffered from all the stuff, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, uh, addictions. And it's just another yet another example of what is possible if you can actually just do it. And this is what I've been trying to push with everything that I, when it comes to this fitness oracle stuff is just to be able to just do it. And if you're able to do just that, why not just be able to, you know, hop on a quick call with us and just to see what's what what's how to help you out and how to help you get the best benefit for yourself with through exercise, mental health, mental, mental health exercises, physical, mental, psychological. Well, we don't really do the psychological, but spiritual stuff, all that's included with our with our 12 week. Uh, fat sizzler it's more than just a weight loss program so all you got to do the link is with this with the show notes with here all you got to do is click the link book the call with me you're going to get a one-on-one zoom call with me and we're going to workshop what you what, what you need to work on because that's what it's all about um if you're not interested in that which is totally cool right now totally cool what we would love for you to do is to subscribe, let us know that you care, share, and hit the little bell to note so you get notified when we release a new episode or new tips and new tricks for people for, for you to, to consume. And again, if you know anybody who is suffering from any mental health issues, please, 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 please share this with them. This is more about that than everything else. And I, it would be, we would be also doing a disservice to them. So please share this with them. So again, I'm going to reiterate, please subscribe to the channel, uh, hit the bell to let you know when we release a new episode. And um, if, again, if you know anybody who is suffering from mental, any mental health issue, um, please, please, please share this with them. Uh, sharing is caring in this in this situation. So I hope you guys enjoy the show and I will see you on the call. Most alcoholics we used to see come into treatment in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Today, we're seeing them in the 18, the teens and, and forward. If you look at depression, anxiety, mental health issues, okay, and addiction as a mosaic, there's many pieces to the puzzle. And see, unfortunately, in a lot of treatment centers, it's one shoe fits all. And as you know, 
we're all different. So that doesn't work very well. Um, addicts come in, okay, protein deficient and volume depleted, meaning they don't drink enough water. If you don't have enough water in your system, because what, what is it, about 70 or 90%, I forget the number of, you know, well, well water base, okay? You can't clean out your toxins out of your body. They stay there in the cells, in the gut, right? So they don't drink enough water, they're protein deficient, and their body's totally out of balance because they're eating processed foods, a lot of sugar, all the things that cause all kinds of uh, the body to go out of homeostasis, out of balance. So if we go to treat somebody for an illness, we need to look at the whole person. We need to look at what they've been eating, what they've been drinking, okay? How often they exercise. People don't realize about exercise. Look, heart patients, they recommend exercise. Why? First of all, it keeps the body flowing. That's number one. Number two, what does it do for uh, serotonin and dopamine? It raises it. And what does it do for stress? It lowers it. So now you're doing two things at the same time. You're lowering stress and you're raising your dopamine and serotonin. Those are our feel-good drugs that we manufacture naturally. And that's what addicts chase, dopamine and serotonin. So meditation is very important to calm the mind down, to give the energy in the body a chance to heal, okay? Sleep, paramount. If you're not sleeping, you're not repairing yourself, your brain. You know, uh, addicts, the, the hardest thing for addicts and alcoholics is not quitting drugs and alcohol, it's learning how to live life on life's terms. That's what we don't know how to do. You see? So we look to medicate. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is John Giordano, who is the Program Director of South Beach Detox. He began his, he began his career in addiction treatment, increasingly dissatisfied with the quality of care that he has observed in the treatment of in the treatment facilities. He decided to set out on his own with only $300 when he opened up his addiction treatment facility, which has evolved into the highly awarded JCAHO accredited with 62 beds G&G holistic addiction treatment in North Miami Beach, Florida, which eventually sold for 45 million. He has a multitude of degrees and certifications that include certified addiction professional, master addiction counselor, certified hypno hypnotherapist, certified criminal justice specialist, master in neuro-linguistic programming, certified practitioner of EMDR, certified sentence mitigation specialist, certified mindfulness and powerful mind-body awareness, awareness therapy, international associate certified <laughs> drug and drug and alcohol counselor. And in 2008, he was honored with a doctorate of human letters from the Sinai University in Jerusalem, Israel. He has authored three books, Kid from the South, 
Bronx who never gave up how to beat your addictions and in, 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 in live a quality life. Forgive me for that one. Proven holistic treatment for addiction and chronic relapse. He has been, he has appeared on multiple different media streams from CB, CBS Evening News to the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. He's a 10th degree black belt in and the national karate champion. He has also trained law enforcement officers and Green Berets in self-defense and negotiation techniques. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. That almost like the whole show. <laughs> I'm also a chaplain for the police department, by the way. And a chaplain for the police department. <laughs> Look, uh, when you're helping God's kids, you got to know as much as you can. And I still got a lot to learn. So that's, know. that's so, that's so true. Um, that's so true. And it's, it's, it's actually really inspirational to have, to, to have you on my show. It's really inspiring for me to have you on my show. Just I've, we've talked before and uh, just before the show, we were talking about some recent work that you were doing with Dr. Deborah Mash. Um, how's that going? Well, you know, right now they just got uh, the, the USDA trials. Um, I worked with Dr. Mash for about 12 years on the island of St. Kitts in the detox center, but it's a real detox center. You see, here's the problem with treatment today. We call detox centers detox. Well, it, if you look up the word detox, it means to detoxify, not to put drugs on top of other drugs but they need to be called the stabilization units. That would be more appropriate, number one. And what, what I lecture about, you know, and I do my best to get as many people to understand and see why we're 70 years what behind the, the times when it comes to uh, addiction and mental health. And um, the, way I, the way I explain it is real simple stuff. The 28-day model for addiction in the United States was founded in 1950. And there's a couple of stories, but by, by two kids, uh, two uh, students that wanted to be, one wanted to be a psychologist, the other one wanted to be a psychiatrist. And um, I believe that's the story. And um, they came up with this 28 days. They had no experience in, in addiction treatment or anything like that. And Hazelton took a hold of it and the insurance company took a hold of it. And that's the model. Unfortunately, it was based on alcoholism. Now, drugs today are much more powerful than alcohol. Now, alcohol is still a serious uh, drug, but the other drugs, they do havoc on the brain as well. Most alcoholics we used to see come into treatment in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Today, we're seeing them in 18 to teens and, and forward. So what the problem is, is that 28 days is almost comical when you take a look at it. So if you look at the model, you have person goes to detox, okay? It comes out depending on what drugs he was using. If it's alcohol, it's five days. If it's opioids, opiates, it's anywhere from seven to nine days if you're the insurance company would pay it, you know? And what, what, that, what the story is now they come out of detox and now they go into a treatment program if they're lucky once they go into a treatment program they're still 
drug affected because drugs have a half-life, you know, and once they come out of a, a, a detox or stabilization unit, they're still detoxing. They don't detox right away, it takes time, okay? So it takes about, let's say two weeks for them to start clearing up. Not to be detox, but start clearing up, all right? And if they're lucky, they might bond with a therapist. And then the fourth week they're gone. So here's a guy using for 20 years and he's expected to stay clean and sober for 28 days. So it's like ridiculous. Now, if you really wanna look at how we're treating people, it's also ridiculous and I'll tell you why. First of all, if you look at people's diets, especially addicts, okay, it's horrific. So they throw their body out of balance. The gut or the microbiome or the microbiota or the flora in the gut, okay, whatever your name you choose to call it, is very important because 90% of dopamine and serotonin is manufactured in your microbiome, your gut, all right? Then it goes up what is called the vagus nerve into the brain and deposits its dopamine and serotonin. Now, if your gut's messed up, guess what happens to your head, okay? So when we look at that and we're not taking care of the gut, all right, so the next piece is if you have the gene for addiction, I work with Dr. Um, Kenneth Blum. He's the geneticist who found the addiction gene. Now there is an addiction gene. Him and Ernie Noble founded it, I believe it was in 1976. So what they found out, and we did some research at my treatment center, we, we formulated what is known as the GARS test, genetic addiction risk score. And what we did is we swabbed you say we took uh, the DNA and we saw what if they had the DRD2 ALE1 variant gene. I don't want to get too complicated for your audience, but it's a gene that we call it the addiction or alcoholic gene. And when, what they found out, if you have a mild, moderate, or severe propensity to be addicted. But now there's such a thing as epigenetics. Now, epigenetics means the social environment can change the gene expression, meaning that you won't become an addict just because you have the gene. So we're looking at that, okay? Now we're also looking at what addicts do is if they get depressed, bored, or anxious, they look to medicate. So in treatment, we always look at, well, there's trauma. You know, these are all important things, by the way, what I'm about to say standard of treatment. Trauma is important because that's a basis. Lack of spirituality also causes depression and stuff like that. Um, and we, we do a psychosocial, it's called, on them and get their history of where they've been, what kind of drugs they do, and what happened to them when they were younger um, or older, doesn't matter. And then we prescribe medication. But there's something missing. The body, last time I checked, was attached to the head or the head was attached to the body, whichever way you want to call it. We're not looking at the body. It's all interconnected, like our planet. If something goes on in one end of the planet, it affects this end of the planet. So we're not looking at these things. Now let's look at what are the co-contributing factors to addiction, which they are not looking at, which I, every time I do a lecture, I have all the scientists and doctors and psychiatrists wow, we never thought of this. And I'm saying to myself, how can you not? If you're going to treat somebody, 
You need to treat them comprehensively or holistically, which means comprehensive or holism. So you have leaky gut syndrome. Now leaky gut syndrome, okay, has to do with your gut, of course. All right, can cause depression and anxiety. Your audience can go look anything I say up on the internet. You have H. pylori infection that also causes depression and anxiety. You have hypoglycemia that also causes depression and anxiety. You have low testosterone that also causes depression and anxiety. You have closed head injuries causes behavioral problems and depression and anxiety. So if you're predisposed for addiction, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna to look to medicate. So it's not just psychological, we have to learn to treat the whole person and give them time to heal. And that time depends on the severity of the illness. It's anywhere from 60 to 120 days, depending on the severity of the illness. Because we're letting people too early out of inpatient treatment, they go right back to the same group of people they came out of, that's number one. And number two, they don't have the support so early on. Now there's a third rule, okay? A third of the people would get well, regardless of where they go or what they do. You can, they can stand the, on their head in the closet because they want it, okay? And they're able to pay attention to what you need to do and overcome the cravings. But the rest of them can't. Now, you've brought up so many amazing points that we're going to touch up on. Um, we're going to touch up right now on addiction. Um, you said something that the, the head and the body are connected. Now, I'm listening to Dr. Joe Dispenza breaking the habit of being I yourself. love Joe Dispenza. He has a heck of a video. He's I see that sometimes. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> and he actually talks about the different, the differentiation of the mind and the body, like you can change the mind, but the body has already these intertwined uh, subroutines that when something goes awry, it will fall back onto these um, subroutines because it's just a default state. He does it through meditation. I was just wondering how do you go about doing something like that, like changing the body itself in order to be in tune with the head? Okay. Now, if you look at depression, anxiety, mental health issues, okay, and addiction as a mosaic, there's many pieces to the puzzle. And see, unfortunately, in a lot of treatment centers, it's one shoe fits all. And as you know, we're all different. So that doesn't work very well. Um, addicts come in, okay, protein deficient and volume depleted, meaning they don't drink enough water. If you don't have enough water in your system, because what, what is it, about 70 or 90%, I forget the number of, you know, well, well water base, okay? You can't clean out your toxins out of your body. They stay there in the cells, in the gut, right? So, they don't drink enough water, they're protein deficient, and their body's totally out of balance because they're eating processed foods, a lot of sugar, all the things that cause all kinds of uh, the body to go out of homeostasis, out of balance. So if we go to treat somebody for an illness, we need to look at the whole person. We 
we need to look at what they've been eating, what they've been drinking, okay? How often they exercise. People don't realize about exercise. Look, heart patients, they recommend exercise. Why? First of all, it keeps the body flowing. That's number one. Number two, what does it do for uh, serotonin and dopamine? It raises it. And what does it do for stress? It lowers it. So now you're doing two things at the same time. You're lowering stress and you're raising your dopamine and serotonin. Those are our feel-good drugs that we manufacture naturally. And that's what addicts chase, dopamine and serotonin. So meditation is very important to calm the mind down, to give the energy in the body a chance to heal, okay? Sleep, paramount. If you're not sleeping, you're not repairing yourself, your brain. Certain kind of amino acids that are the precursors for neurotransmission, very important. Another thing that the body has that I didn't mention is heavy metal toxicity. Heavy metals, mercury, antinomy, all right, lead. We're not looking at this stuff. And, you know, we're calling people attention deficit disorder, bipolar disorder. If they have heavy metals, it mimics those disorders. So let's give them Prozac. Oh, wait a second. That doesn't work for that. You see, we're doing things quickly. It's get them in, get them out, you know, put them in the, uh, like, warehousing people. No, these are human beings. When I save or when you save or if anybody saves one addict from their addiction, they save a whole family. But people don't understand. So exercise is paramount. Meditation is paramount. Sleep is paramount. Water, enough water, enough amino acids, enough nutrients, the right kind of food to eat. It sounds overwhelming to people. But really, you do a little at a time as best you can. And addicts are feel-good junkies, all right? If we feel good, we're going after it, man. I got, I got clients chasing me for the nutrients I give them. Now, addicts don't do that. Now, if it was drugs, I used to sell drugs. So they used to chase me for the drugs, okay? But now I'm selling nutrients. <laughs> and they say, I, I don't know what that stuff is, but, you know, I, I really like that. Can I get another bottle of that? <laughs> So it, it, it's sad because everything revolves around money. And, and that's the sad part, okay? If you don't have insurance, you're stuck in a treatment center, they do their best. Look, I'm, I'm not putting anybody down for what they're doing. I'm just saying we need to expand and look at alternatives. But the problem is, is that it takes money. And the insurance companies, they refuse to really do what works. Okay, so doctors go, well, how do you know what, the, what, the, what a client needs? Well, really simple. You do a micronutrient test, you find out what kind of nutrients they have on board and what they don't have on board. Well, how do you know they have heavy metals? Well, you do urine, 24-hour urine, you could do blood, you do hair analysis. Hello, you know? Now, you have closed head injuries. You have what is called uh, pause, okay? And what happens is, okay, what do you do for that? They don't know. They say time, you know, after you get out of treatment, you know, still, still in a, you know, floating around. Hyperbaric medicine. Are you familiar with hyperbarics? Um, no, but I have heard you talk about hyperbaric um, treatment on a, on your podcast. 
And I'm very curious about that. Okay. I have a hyperbaric chamber, by the way, in my house. Okay. And I'm, I'm a street kid. I'm an inner city kid. Okay. And believe me, if I have something there, you better believe it's going to work. Otherwise, why would I do it? I have the ability to, to, to have my own. They cost a lot of money, but you can go out and also do hyperbarics. They have places that you can do it if you're doing the right kind. Okay. What is hyperbarics? It was used, let's say it's been around for over a hundred years. It was used for the bends. That's when divers go down real deep. And when they come back up, they have to um, get rid of the nitric oxide out of their blood and all this kind of stuff. And they have to go into a chamber and decompress. Now, while that happened, they found out that it also heals wounds. And I was uh, with Dr. Paul Harch and Dr. Williamson, they're two pioneers in hyperbaric chamber. They went to the Senate and got them to approve wound healing for diabetics in the VA. Because they were costing the VA $70,000. They amputate an arm or a leg and then the, you know, the doctors afterwards and the rehabilitation afterwards. And hyperbarics, it was a no-brainer. And it was healing the wounds. Now, with Dr. Hodge's research, found that it also helps with TBI cases, traumatic brain injury cases. So I ask your audience, do drugs damage the brain? I don't think anybody's going to say no. What are, what are we doing about it? You can meditate till your eyeballs fall out. It's not going to fix that. You see? So what you do is you do hyperbarics and you heal the brain. Now, at my treatment center, we had all these things. We also had acupuncture. And people say, well, acupuncture? Yeah, it's only been around for 5,000 years. I mean, what the hell? I mean, it must, be, must not work. <laughs> you know? It, all this stuff is really comical when you start to think about it. Um, you know, if you look at our water supply, we're just finding out we have lead pipes, okay? Uh, look at, uh, what, what was it, Michigan? Um, that had all the problems with the water. I mean, come on, we're not looking. You know, I was in Rome, I was in Italy, and we went to a place called Herculean. And it's an island where, um, I think it was Mount Vesuvius. I don't even know how to say it. Anyway, it was a volcano, okay? And it went on the whole island, everybody got buried with the ash and things like that. And they found a lot of writings about how long people lived at that time, it was maybe 30, 30 years old, and they had a lot of mental health issues also. Well, what they found out, what are the Romans known for? One of the things is plumbing. And guess what they use for pipes? Lead. So if you're wondering why some of the emperors were nuts, okay, they had lead poisoning. Uh, we can go on off on a tangent on that one right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not looking at this stuff. You know, we're like investigators with, with, with one eye closed. Yeah. So hyperbarics is really amazing. Now, let me tell you another story with hyperbarics. It just came out in the news. In Israel, they did a program with hyperbarics at five days a week at an atmosphere of two, which is about 15 pounds per square inch of pressure for three months, five days on, two days off. And a very interesting thing occurred. Have you ever heard of telomeres? Yeah, I do. 
Okay, telomeres are the ends of chromosomes. That is the biological age of us, of our bodies, not the chronological age. Now you could be 50 and you could be 30 biologically, or you could be 50 and be 80 biologically. So that's how, and as you get older, the, the telomeres get shorter. What they found out is they increased the length of the telomeres 20%. That is like going back in time with your body. It's like absurd, incredible. There's so many things that are, that are out there that people don't know about, you know? And unfortunately, most of the wealthy people that know about this stuff are the ones that can do a lot of these things. How could somebody utilize that in their day-to-day life? Like how could somebody like who doesn't have a lot of money to be going to hyperbolic treatment for five days out of the week? Cause I, I looked it up here in Toronto and it costs like $60 per session. That's cheap. It's usually $200. So how my question again to you is how could somebody like affords to do something like that? Okay, now like, here's how we can do that. Okay, if everybody gets together, okay, and that's a big chore, and petition the insurance companies to pay for this stuff, you know, they get, because it's like kind of like ridiculous when you look at things. The insurance companies, like with, with addiction treatment, they only pay for certain things that you do, and the other things that really work, they don't want to pay for. So what happens is this, a guy goes in, he's in treatment 28 days, let's say, if he even stays in treatment 28 days. Then he gets out, he relapses, goes back to detox, goes back to a treatment program, goes out, maybe he's a month clean, goes back into another treatment. I mean, all the money they're wasting by not doing it the right way the first time. That's like building a house on sand, okay? And it keeps collapsing and you keep building it on sand over and over again, hoping the sand will pack down. That's how stupid we are as as a people. We're not looking at things properly. And you say, how can they do it? Well, look, one of the things you can do is you can, you can afford to get a test to see if you have heavy metals. It's not expensive. You can eat properly, stay away from processed foods, stay away from sugars, stay away from all that garbage, okay, as best you can. If you have, I don't know what level of care you're talking about, maybe you can spend a few dollars on certain nutrients that will help you. Okay, uh, save up your money, get a micronutrient test, which is not a lot of money. Okay, you can do that to see where you're at. So there are little things you can do. Look, unfortunately, that's called life in a big city, right? I was homeless when I started my recovery journey. I got divorced. My wife uh, got the house, got the car, got everything. My friend loaned me a room in a hotel that he owned and I would live there and you know and I would have a little hot plate and I would have a a jar when I could put my quarters in when I had quarters and somebody loaned me a bicycle so that was my beginning journey and that's why I wrote my book the kid from the south bronx who never gave up because eventually you know I was still clean and still sober um I did everything. I went back to school. I only went to the ninth grade. So I had to go get a GED at least, you know, and uh, I started my journey in recovery that saved my life. So 
uh, I started the first treatment center I had, it was 14 months clean. And uh, my, um, my friend of mine, and I lied, I said to him, I said, look, I want to open up a treatment center. And I got this famous doctor, who was my doctor actually in Mount Sinai Hospital, who wants to open up one. I never talked to the doctor, you know? I'm a street kid, so I, you know, I use that, all right? Like, you know. So he says, well, if you got that doctor, I'll give you the money. So he, I say, he said, well, how much do you need? Now, this is the funny part. The only thing I know about treatment centers is I was in one, okay? <laughs> no clue. I said, oh, quarter of a million dollars. He says, well, if you can do that, you got it. So I went into the doctor's office. I told him, you know, hey, I have a quarter of a million dollars. Would you like to open up a treatment center? He says to me, you know, John, funny you walked in here. I was just thinking about that. He was a comedian. He always joked around. So I opened up a treatment center. And I opened it up with my doctor and a lot of the people that treated me when I was in treatment. Unfortunately, I was a little naive. You know, I'm a street kid. If you cheat me, I punch you in the face. I mean, you know, that's all. I mean, forget lawyers and doctors and all this stuff. Done. All right. Well, I'm in recovery now. I can't do that anymore. So to make it a long story short, I got screwed out of my treatment center. And, but I had to stay there because I needed the hours to get my degrees. And who was going to give me those hours? Nobody. So I had to swallow my pride, swallow my ego. They paid me a salary. They gave me the outpatient clinic when I owned the whole thing. And, you know, they said to me, well, if you don't sign this paper, uh, we're never going to pay back your friend to put the money up and we'll just change the company. I was in shock. It's my doctor, my therapist. How could they do that to me? You know, but I forgot they were new in recovery. See, I didn't know I was new too. They only had three years, maybe each. So, you know, just because you, you stop using drugs and alcohol doesn't mean you totally stop the behaviors. You know, uh, addicts, the, the hardest thing for addicts and alcoholics is not quitting drugs and alcohol. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. That's what we don't know how to do. You see? So we look to medicate. So what happened is I wound up staying there for six years. And then I got my... I learned everything about treatment. I did, I learned everything about how to run a treatment center. You know, I was on a mission. So what happened was, let's the sixth year after I got everything, I never had a contract from them. They were supposed to give me a contract, but I just kept my mouth shut, my head down. And then I finally had that reputation that I wanted. And I learned all the stuff that I needed to know. So I went into the guy's office and uh, the therapist who helped me. And I says, I tell you what, I'm gonna rearrange your face and doctors are not gonna be able to put it back together again. That's number one. And number two, I'm gonna have my uncle visit you. Now, I'll give you a little background about my uncle. My uncle's a hitman. We had him in treatment. He had a, uh, he was uh, uh, addicted to crack cocaine. So he was in and I would tell the staff what he did for a living and they would go, you know, they would, yeah, yeah okay, discounted. They think I was embellishing things, you know. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in my office, and I get the therapist comes running in, all excited. I go, what's the matter? Your uncle's talking about all the people he killed. He says, I told you what he did for a living. <laughs> so anyway, he knew who my uncle was, you know. And I was my uncle's favorite, so he knew that too. So they gave me my contract. I left in three months. 
And uh, I quit after three months. I left. You know, I wind up with eighty thousand dollars, which is a joke. They were making millions, and they did it fair. They did it right. They didn't, you know, didn't do uh, things that were wrong, uh, except what they did to me. And uh, anyway, I winded up. The same guy that put up the money for the first time said, I got another guy that wants to open up a treatment center. He says, but make a business plan, you know? I said, okay, so I did a business plan. And I went to meet the guy in West Palm Beach. Now I'm in Miami, excuse me, and he's at West Palm Beach. So I'm about a minute away from the meeting. I forgot the Don business plan. Well, I can't go back home. I gotta go there. So I told the guy, look, I apologize, I'm embarrassed, I, I forgot the business place. No, 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 threw a napkin at me. He says, write down what, what you need. So that's what I did. And he said, how much you need? So here we go again. I said, a quarter of a million dollars. So he gave me a quarter of a million. I don't know where I got the number from, but it just keeps popping out of my head. And we had the treatment center. It was a 30 bed treatment center, residential. And uh, we got the JACO accreditation, and the, which is the gold standard in the industry. And, uh, children and families and all this other stuff. I hired my sponsor to be the clinical director. And well, what happened was I didn't know the guy was, the guy that gave me the money was a, what they call a, um, a corporate raider. And I didn't read the contract, okay? Because I was so excited about opening up a treatment center again. I didn't read, I just signed it like a, like a fool. And uh, for those out there, make sure you have a lawyer if you're going to do something. And a good one, by the way. And make sure he's not the other guy's lawyer. Anyway, <laughs> so what wound up happening was he fired me after a year. So I says, you can't fire me. I'm your partner. So he says to me, read your contract. So I got really pissed off. I was going to throw him through the window. And I said, can't do that. And again, so I got all my stuff and I talked to my, my sponsor and, uh, you know, in, in NA and AA, they have what is known as a sponsor that guides you through the steps. That's what a sponsor is. He's a confidant, someone close to you. And he turned around and says, I can't leave. I said, what do you mean you can't leave? He doesn't know this program. We do. He says, I can't. I just bought a house and, you know, I, I make all this money and I, I can't go. So here I am. My sponsor left me out. The place I was gone, I went out in the parking lot, I sat in my car and I cried. And I had my stuff that I had in my office in a little box. And that was it. Then I went to, I got asked to be a clinical director at a public program, which is tremendously different. And um, it was a public program that had 55 beds for people that had HIV, people that had uh, psychiatric problems and also addiction. But it was like an old, they call it an old TC. And what that means is they put the guy in, they put a client in the middle of the room, they, they beat him up, they break him down and then they build him up again. And I said, wait a while, I've never needed anybody to beat me up. I did a great job on my own beating myself up. You know, so I didn't agree with that methodology. And then we would feed him cakes and chocolates and stuff had lunch for dessert because we got all our food donated. And then the clients would act out. Then we would put them on a bench and put a sign around their neck. I says, what are we doing? We're causing it and then we're punishing them, you know, and shaming them. I said, this doesn't make any sense. So I quit. Then I was with a woman that I was uh, 
engaged to and she says, why don't you open up a treatment center? I said, forget it. I'm not opening up any treatment centers anymore. He says, no, 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 no. Why don't you open up a little outpatient clinic? And I says, look, I have $300 in the bank because I had a little spending addiction, maybe a big spending addiction. And I only had $300 and my friend owned the property, was on his property, a little 750 square foot building. And um, I said, okay, I asked my friend Bill, he says, hey, Bill, how much you want rent for that little building? He says, how much you have? I said, I don't have much, I have $300. He says, look, take it for a couple of months till you get started and give me $300. So that's what I did. And it built and it kept building and it kept building and, and instead of dragging all, all the way through, uh, we had no money, we had creditors chasing us. I got my partner who joined and his son joined. And anyway, in 2012, we sold it for $45 million. We wind up having seven buildings, 147 employees. So if people don't think miracles happen, believe me, they happen. But you have to do the work and never give up. And we were never about the money. And that's the truth. What we're about was really helping people. And, and I believe, you know, in, in my heart of hearts, that God, the creator, or whatever you want to call it, you know, saw that we really wanted to help people and helped us to, to grow experientially, always through. And that's where I winded up and then I do consulting. And, but when I first opened up, everybody laughed at me because I, I only took cash, I didn't take any insurance. And when I got cash, I used to put it in my pocket. I never wrote it down. And I said, ah, you know, my, when I had my new partner, he said, well, where's the books? I said, what books? I said, oh, don't worry, they'll pay. He said, what? You're crazy. They ain't going to pay. So we got books. So you know, that was the kind of thing that happened. That's Anything funny. else you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, turning, well, that was part of one of my questions was, what was your journey with addiction? But you pretty, pretty much summed it, summed it right up with that. So uh, we can move on from that one. Um, my next question would be like, a lot of people out there, when they're suffering from like mental health issues, anxiety, depression, and like all this kind of really bad stuff, they all feel that they're alone. Uh, with the story that you just shared with us, it just, it, 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 it comes out to me that you consistently surrounded yourself with other people to help you along with your journey. What's the one thing that, um, that you can impart on to for somebody to start the process to get over their addiction? Okay. Well, I, I have a unique situation. My wife is also a recovering addict and she suffers from, she has bipolar disorder. She suffers from depression and anxiety. And I learned a lot from her. You know, when sometimes the medications don't work, uh, see, as far as medications go, let me just put it to you this way. Medications, SSRIs, um, Mayo inhibitors, uh, SSRIs are uh, Zoloft, uh, Wellbutrin, you know, all these different drugs for depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. They were only meant for short-term intervention. And now since the pharmaceutical companies seem they can make a ton of money, they made it long-term. And it's really a guessing game, unfortunately. Okay, uh, take this, take that. Oh, let's raise that uh, uh, 
milligrams or let's lower that. Let's give you this because this is happening. It's like an educated guessing game. Uh, instead of using pharmacogenetics, which is a DNA test that can tell which drugs may benefit you more than other drugs, is another issue, which they don't do. Um, if you, certain people need to be on medication and, and nutrients and amino acids and all that stuff, it just doesn't work in a timely fashion for them. And they fall apart before they can go further. So it's not for everyone, okay? Medication is not for everyone, but it's also for certain people. Nutrients and, and, and fixing your body, okay? You don't know everybody's different. You see how it works, okay? You can do both. Do your medication, fix your body at the same time, and then have your doctor titrate you down, okay, and see where you wind up. So depression is very debilitating. Uh, there's clinical uh, depression, the situational depression. It all depends what's going on in your life. Most people hide, they put on a fake face um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. I suggest anybody that's suffering from this, go to a psychiatrist, but go to one that does alternative medicine also. So you're not with somebody who's just a pull pusher, a, a, a pill pusher. So you want somebody that's gonna look at you as a whole person not just a piece of you, like we spoke of earlier. Um, so that's my suggestion for that. And you know, you got to push through it. Most people that have depression, they can't get out of bed. Oh, they don't want to get out of bed. They want to put the covers over their head and they want the world to go by. You know, um, there's some suggestions I have that my wife does. She jumps out of bed, very difficult. Sometimes I have to push her out of bed when she's in a, you know, in that mode. And go take a cold shower and then take a hot shower. That snaps her out of it for a while. Then eat something, you know, and then talk about, you know, with your therapist. Usually she talks to me a lot and she has her own psychiatrist that she talks to. But, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen periodically over the years. And, you know, you give some support. There's no shame in having depression or anxiety. Um, Speaking about anxiety, my son had anxiety and um, severe anxiety where he couldn't even leave the house. I mean, it was horrible and um, worried about everything, um, all this stuff. So I says, look, let's go to Ibogaine. Now, Ibogaine is a bush from West Africa with the Weedy tribe. And it's used usually for a rite of passage for the natives. And what and also we found out with a Howard Lutzoff is a gentleman who was a heroin addict who wanted to get high, all right? And uh, found this drug or this plant medicine and wanted to see how high he could get with it. And he was a heroin addict. You know how we are as addicts. We just, you know, we try anything. It doesn't matter what the hell it is, right? And he took it and he woke up the next morning detoxed. And no cravings. And he couldn't believe it. You know, this is a guy that was using drugs for years. Heavy duty heroin addict. So he opened up, being an addict, seeing he could make money from it, he opened up, uh, I think it was in Panama. And um, somehow he got in touch with Dr. Deborah Mash, who is my colleague that I work with. And uh, they opened up a clinic. 
and she decided to break away from him and opened up her own in St. Kitts, and that's how her and I got together. And anyway, I brought my son, uh, you know, I, I taught him how to meditate, how to calm himself. I gave him some GABA and some uh, um, different, med- different uh, nutrients to calm him down. And um, we got on the plane. He meditated. He just barely made it. Okay. Uh, we went to do the IB game. And after the IB game, no more anxiety. It was gone. Today, he has it a little bit. But he deals with it, and it's no big deal anymore. And I decided since I my job uh, on the island of St. Kitts with Dr. Deborah Mesht, with the clients that were detoxing when I began, um, I would debrief them and then I would, you know, I would help them to go into the journey and set their mindset, okay, their, their intent. And then when they come out, I would help them debrief them about what they saw because they go into a dream state and they see a lot of the different traumas and things that happened to them in their life through imagery, through sounds, through little snapshots of images and, and they can't really totally make out what it is. So I help them to, to get that done. So I begin is something like ayahuasca, just a little. No, okay, glad you mentioned that. Okay, you have psilocybin, which are mushrooms. You have ayahuasca, which is a vine and a plant together. Now ayahuasca is a four hour journey all right, it's a very spiritual journey, but it's not like Ibogaine, let's put it this way. Ayahuasca is like say seven or eight on a scale of 10, I, uh, and Ibogaine is 10. So it's the top of the food chain. When you do Ibogaine, you go out for anywhere from eight to 10, maybe sometimes even 12 hours, depending if you're a fast metabolizer, or slow metabolizer, and how your liver is functioning. So it's a different journey entirely. What we used to do on the island, because Dr. Mash was very adamant about safety, would, I would take them, before they went to the island, they would come to me in Florida. Um, I would put a heart monitor on them to make sure their heart was functioning properly. It was a 24-hour heart monitor, not just an EKG, which is only a snapshot of what's going on in the heart at that moment in time. So you need a full spectrum of what's happening. And then we would uh, do blood work on them. We'd see how they, what their body was doing. We'd also see what's on board, what kind of drugs are on board. And then we would bring them to the island of St. Kitts. Then they would do blood work again. They would give them an EKG, okay, to check them out for that moment of time, see what's going on. Uh, I would sit down with them and talk with them, like I told you, and make their intent for them. Then what we would do is we would put them in a bed. We would put eye shades on them. We would put headsets on them. And this way we would keep them in a containment field. We would give them a test dose and then we'd see how they tolerate. And then what we would do is give them a full dose. Excuse me one second. Okay, my no little 14-month-old and her mother is, is trying to entertain him, <laughs> entertain her. She's a little pistol boy, let me tell you. So, um, then they would come out of the journey and we would debrief them. 
Nice. Um, so it's more powerful than ayahuasca. Oh yeah, much more powerful. And, and people that do that that were on drugs, they don't have any cravings anywhere from thirty to uh, to ninety days, which is unheard of for detox. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, now we're going to skip a little bit and we're going to change gears a little bit here. And we're going to be talking about something that's very near and dear to me. Um, uh, when we're talking about depression, um, I have suffered from depression myself where I was locked in my parents' bedroom for a year and I almost committed suicide twice. Um, you talked about something so simple on a previous recent podcast that when I heard it, I'm like, this guy is onto something. You're talking about laughter as a therapy. So why laughter? Because like I said, like it seems so simple, but I want you to talk about more about it because it's just so. Well, you know what's interesting about the human body and the mind? When, when like for instance, when you cry, it changes the structure of your hormones. Everything starts changing in your body. When you release that pressure, you see depression, what happens is this. You keep on with all the, look at everything as thoughts as energy. When you suppress all those thoughts and you keep stuffing them down, all those feelings, things like that, what happens is the body starts to like break down because it's holding all of that stuff. So when you could laugh, you change the structure of your thoughts and you release the energy from your body. So laughter is really important. When you're depressed, you're not laughing, you know? So what you gotta do is you gotta figure out how to get yourself to find up laughing, okay? When you get depressed, you don't wanna leave the house. You don't wanna go anywhere. You don't wanna see anybody because you're embarrassed, you're full of shame, okay? You feel weak, you feel like, so what's wrong with me? I'll never get out of this darkness. How am I doing? Bang on. Okay. <laughs> so there's certain things that you got to check. You got to see, you probably have serotonin deficiency. Okay. So you can take 5-HTP. Okay. You can take magnesium. You can take GABA. There's a bunch of things that you can take, nutraceuticals, that can help you. Okay. Exercise, paramount, and you could do it. You could have did it in your room, but but you don't feel like doing anything. You got to get off your ass and plain English and push yourself. God bless you, and that is the only way you're going to get out of this. See, there's no shame in having depression. It's like you have diabetes, so what you should walk around with shame. People that look down on people that have mental health issues and addiction. They don't have a clue, okay, about what that person's going through. You know, I'll give you an example. I was teaching at one of the colleges. Here I am, a kid from the South Bronx. I went to the ninth grade and got a GED. It's teaching at one of the colleges, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing group therapy. And I have a psychiatrist there, a psychologist. I have LCSWs, MS, all the Ws we had. Anyway, these therapists, they said to me, we don't understand why people do drugs, you know? And I says, well, they said, why didn't they just stop? I said, that's a good question. So let's do a little experiment with everybody in there. 
How many people smoke cigarettes? We had about three or four. They're killing themselves, but that's another story. Anyway, how many people drink coffee every day? So they raised the hand. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you all to stop the cigarettes, stop the coffee for a month. Oh, they all went, what, what do you mean stop? I said, what's the matter? Why, why can't you can't stop? Oh, yeah, but why do we have to do that? Blah, 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 you know, I said, well, look, first of all, times it by 100 when you're doing drugs, trying to quit. Look what you're going through. And those who are smoking cigarettes, do you ever read on the side they cause cancer? So you're killing yourself and then you're trying to figure out why other people are killing themselves. Oh, with something different, pardon me. No, you're right. Yeah. So, you know, I think today's society, most people are addicted to something. Now, what we call addiction, okay, is RDS, reward, Efficiency syndrome. And most, if not all, addicts and alcoholics and things that suffer from depression and anxiety. You know, um, all I can say is this I, I, I watched my wife try to commit suicide three or four times, you know, before, well, a couple of times before I met her, and once we were going together, had nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with the situation. All of a sudden, you know, she started going and she started not telling me what was going on, you know, and she came out of the room one day, so I took my whole bottle of pills. And I went, oh, shit. Okay. So instead of trying to make a throw up, which I should have did, I didn't do that. And I dragged her to the hospital right away and I told them what was going on. And of course they don't listen. All right. So then they had to intubate her and she could have died. So, yeah, I, do I understand depression? I live with it. I understand it. And I used to be depressed a little bit, not as much, okay, as her or you. But depression is depression, whatever way you want to slice and dice it. And it's the shame and the guilt that people hold. And listen, there's no shame in your game if you have an illness. You know, and people that are judging it, excuse my expression, they're assholes. Sorry. Okay. Because who are they to judge you in your life and how you're suffering? And, and the bottom line is this. You can heal yourself. Obviously, we're talking. You don't look depressed to me. Well, no, I'm not depressed. Um, not not anymore. They're, I keep telling people... Uh, you never truly get out of it, but you get better tools to fight it. There you go. And it, you know, there's, there's different levels of depression too. What happens where you maybe once went into deep depression, maybe you're just slightly in depression, and then you start using your tools to get out of the depression. Yeah. What are some of your tools that you get out of the depression with? I just go out for walks in parks and long walks in parks. Uh, start listening to guys like Dr. Joe Dispenza to get myself out of myself. Uh, you know, I just, I start looking inwards. Uh, one thing that you actually mentioned is meditation, which I actually just started practicing this year. And it actually really helps. Uh, I do my morning and evening prayers. Um, just, I try and help as many people other than myself. Like there's just so many tools that I have gained over 
years like uh by profession i'm actually a personal trainer so i understand the connection between exercise nutrition sleep recovery and how it all plays an effect on the brain so i get all that um but for you how important is meditation okay meditation is i meditate every day i pray every day sometimes i pray two or three times a day thanking God, whatever you want to call it, okay, for the gift that he or she gave me, which is life. But I tell people that when you were born, you got the gift of life, okay? It's what you do with that life is your gift back to your creator to make it real simple. And you see what you're doing, okay, is very courageous because you're getting out and you're pushing yourself through and you say, you know what? I'm tired of being sick and tired and I'm just going to do, I, you don't even have to believe in the stuff we're talking about. You, you know, you can tell everybody, just do it. If it doesn't work, don't do it. Try something else. And that's the best information I can give to anybody. But actually always, if you start feel depressed, if you start wanting to use, go to another room, get out, call a friend, go to a meeting. Do something to get your mind in a different direction. And what's really interesting with psychedelics is I, when I was uh, using, I used to do a lot of psychedelics, LSD, peyote. I did everything known to man. I was searching for uh, that knowledge that I already had. I didn't even know I had it, but that was another story. But what it is, is your intent. So when you start to, to change your mind with a different intent, okay, things change chemically in your body. And the walking you were doing was oxygenating your body also. And when you oxygenate your body and you change your focus, you change the way the chemicals in the brain start functioning and the body. So the things that you said will help a lot of people and the things that we're talking about. Now, most people say, well, I can't meditate. Everything, I get all these things in my head. I start thinking about them. Okay, just don't hold on to them. Make believe there's two doors, one on one side, one on the other. Let the words come in and then let it go out the other side. And you're not going to learn and do it right away. It takes practice. Just like anything else, you got to practice. Even if you do it for two minutes, then increase it to four minutes, slowly, okay? It works. Meditation's been around for thousands of years. I mean, Jesus, what do you think people are doing all these years for? It's like acupuncture. If this stuff doesn't work, what do you think? People will continue to do it? Give me a break, Okay. So stop being in your head, the bullshit that you, don't believe everything you think. That's number one, okay? Just do. And that's the only thing I can tell you, you know, and that's what I do. That's what you do. That's what my wife does. You know, that's what my clients do. Period. Talk to people. Stop being embarrassed. So what? Keep going. Who gives a shit? I think we're kind of dancing around a little bit of a topic here, which is kind of off the whim. I didn't have this plan, but how important is it to fail and not hold on to the construct of the word failing? Oh, that's my favorite subject. It really is. You know what? There are no failures. There are only lessons. And you know what a failure is? Is when you die. 
or when you get hit and you stay down and you don't get up. That's what a failure is. So there are no failures in life. There are only lessons. Sometimes we repeat the same failure over and over again if you want to call it a failure, the same lesson over again until you get it. Call the 100 monkeys. But that's just it. it. It's all your perception, how you look at things and how you look at life. You know, if you look at it through a lens of everything negative, guess what you're going to see? Everything negative. And that's what we do when we're in depression. That's what we do when we're in anxiety. That's what we do when we're in addiction. We just, we give up. If you don't give up, believe it or not, stick around till the miracle happens. And never give up. Yep. Because I find that people that put that label on themselves and on other people, um, it actually helps amplify depression and, you know, feeling bad about yourself and in increasing anxiety because I've suffered from depression and I've had panic attacks before. Um, so I know exactly what this kind of stuff is. Like I feel, I feel down some days. I feel up some days. Uh, like in an, again, in another recent podcast, you actually talked about the difference between feeling down and feeling depressed. We don't, the people that, 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 that suffer from depression, they don't know what normal is. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. They don't know what normal is. Everything's depression. No, not everything is not depression. It's all, listen, you, you lost a job, so you feel down. It doesn't necessarily, you're depressed, you're down. It's okay. People feel down, okay? Depression and down is two different things. And when you let, let other people, like give me an example. When I first opened up my little outpatient program, everybody told me that it would fail. I don't buy into other people's stories or other people's thoughts. They're not mine. And you see, everybody, we all want to please people. We want everybody to look at us a certain way. Most people don't really care. They're looking at themselves. And then they're trying to put their stuff on everybody else. That's their own fears. You know, a lot of times a father or a mother would say, look at you. How come you're not doing anything? Look at you. What's going on? So really what's behind that is they care about you and they want you to move forward, but they don't communicate properly. So what they're doing is instead of helping you, they're pushing you down further. If you listen, you see, because the truth is you're not doing anything. So all they're doing is reinforcing what you're already doing. But if you get off your ass in plain English, whether it, what is success? Okay. What do you think success is? Let me ask you the question. What do you think success is? Success for me? Yeah. What is successful? How do you judge a person if they're successful? If they're living out their purpose, what they think that their purpose is. What is that? What, what is your success? What do you think success is for you? Well, for me, it would be you know, doing this podcast on a regular basis, having, you know, trying to push, trying to help more people through my workout programs um, in a country that I feel like I'm at home. Um, that to me would be ultimate success. Okay. So it's not about money. No. Not about how, what kind of car you have. You know, what's funny about money since I was a homeless and then I'm a millionaire. I'll tell you what the funny part about it is. 
all right, if you allow it. I don't allow it, okay? But if you do allow it, when you don't have any money, you're worried about making money. When you have money, guess what? You're worried about losing money. It's the same shit. It's this the other end of the stick, man. Okay? So don't bother worrying. You know? And, you know, I'm happy wherever I live. I don't care. Look, I live in a beautiful home. I have everything, you know, that you could possibly want to have. But you know what the most important thing? And I deal with a lot of very wealthy people. And I, I tell them all the time. They're miserable. They're not healthy. They're lonely. They're human beings. And, you know, to me, what, what successful is to be a human being that has compassion, that has values, that has integrity, that is doing, helping other human beings less fortunate than him or her, just like you're doing. It does, it's not measured in how much money and how, how are you inside? Does it make you happy when you help somebody else? I mean, you know, there's people around that all they, they know is to put down other people, okay? Oh, look at you, man. You're not, you know, you're, look at the car you're driving or look where you live or there are people like that. Yep. And there are people that want what they have, you know? And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. To me, if you're healthy, you're wealthy, period. Doesn't matter about, it's not about money. It's about you, because I tell my friends, all right, yeah, you're wealthy, but you're not healthy. So who's getting your money, brother? <laughs> the yeah. doctors. It all stays here too. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it, listen, if you, you know, laugh. I laugh at life sometimes, you know. Uh, I give you an example uh, that's just happened. My daughter, she's, she got paralyzed. She, had, she has Gillian-Barre syndrome. And she's got such an attitude. She's just like me. Her and I, we just, we're just the same. And she goes, you know, Dad, it is what it is. I just got to deal with it. Then two days ago, she was getting off her wheelchair. And she just started learning how to walk again. And she got off her wheelchair, and she don't feel her feet. That's the problem. She tripped and broke her two ankles and her tibia in her leg. And now she has to have an operation. So I call her up on the phone. I said, what's going on? Hey, Dad, can you believe this shit? She says, here I am in the hospital. I was just getting better. She says, you know what? No what? six months, whatever it is, I'll get back out and I'll do what I have to do. And I get other people that cry and poor me. That doesn't help anything. You know? Yeah. And listen, the same energy it takes to do that, it's the same energy to do the other way. And what, what people, people want people to feel sorry for them. That's another issue. You know, they got the poor me, so they feel everybody should say, oh, poor you. And when they do that, all they're doing is helping you get worse. You know, I'm a karate teacher, and I've been doing that, we spoke about that, for over 60 years. I have over 200 black belts that are champions besides me being a champion. How do we do it? I worked them until their arms fell off. Don't complain in my class. If you want to complain, go to another school. You want to be good at something or you want to be great? What do you want to be? Yeah. Um, you and I have a very common avenue there. Like uh, I actually was brought into the martial arts world uh, through Shodokan uh, Karate. 
and uh-huh. uh, my sensei came from Okinawa, and um, we're going to touch up on that in just a little bit. Yeah, a lot of goju uh, comes from Okinawa. Yeah, he was. Uh, he found out that I was starting to become a bully, so I was cleaning toilets for like six months. I was no longer a bully. <laughs> you know, it, it's. I, I love it when the, when the karate changed tremendously over the years. It, it, it lost its its it, it's um, its budo, its its spirit. Uh, a lot of this is about tournaments and about fighting and about you know, karate is really a martial art. I learned from three grandmasters, some of the top people in the country, and out of the country actually. And I'm also a black belt in judo, black belt in jiu-jitsu, and a 10th degree black belt in goju karate. And karate today is more a sport, and it's uh, not so much a discipline as it was before. And they're losing the art form also. And uh, you know, I teach police officers, and I teach uh, guys, special forces guys. You know, some I teach how to kill, and some I teach how to you know, holding techniques. Uh, It's the sport made it well known, but what the problem is, is that a lot of schools, they don't teach karate, they teach nonsense. It's supposed to build up your spirit. It's supposed to make you a better human being. It's supposed to make you able to set an example for others. Uh, Fighting is just an offshoot of what it is, defending, you know, self-defense. The idea is not to get into a fight, okay? Yeah. It's to learn how to get out of one, not get in one. So most people don't get that, you know? And you know what's interesting? I found this out to be, when you have a true martial artist, there's a certain energy that we expel, okay? People know it. You walk into a room, they sense it. You know, I was a, you know, I used to have a, I used to be a bouncer and I used to do bodyguard work and did all that stuff. And I had a whole group of guys that worked for me. And uh, when we went in there or any player guys, they just would know right away. I don't want to mess with this guy. You know, when you walk in a bar or walk in some place, you look at a guy and you say, I don't like this guy. Guy didn't do anything to you. Or you say, I don't want to mess with that guy, you know? It's an energy that people pick up. They don't even realize they think it's a physical thing. It's really an energy. See? Yep. So if you know what you know, okay, you don't have to prove it to anybody. You don't have to show it off to anybody. You know, most of the guys I know that really can tear your head off, they're the calmest, nicest people you want to meet. We have a saying in the martial arts, gentle in life, but ferocious in combat. Yeah. And nothing is impossible. Yeah. And you shall always be aware. Yeah. Uh, um, the reason why well, I stopped karate because I got into an argument with my sensei. I was beating up black belts in tournaments and he, I'm like, I'm ready for my black belt. And he's like, no, you're not. I was 12 years old. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. No, you're not. So I did my test. Uh, I passed the test and he marked a black line on my brown belt. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what are my black belt? He was right. I was wrong. 
How old were you? 12. Okay, see, that's another issue I have. You know what uh, Q means? You know what, you know, like you were a 10Q, a 5Q, a 4Q, and then you were a Dan, first degree black belt, need not so that, you know. Q means boy or girl. Dan means man or woman. Okay, so first degree black belt is high school. All right? And 12 years old, you don't have that ability. Okay. I know. We, we, they didn't give a black belt till you were 18 back then when I was training. And uh, it, unless you were a special case and you had your, your stuff together, you know, was the teacher who was a good teacher will know. All right. The belt does not make the man, the man makes the belt. So belt's meaningless. But the belt is your ego. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he was trying to impart on me. And I was just too, too egotistical and too closed minded and too narrowing in my own vision to see that. Well, you know what it really was? Low self-esteem. Well, that you know what I mean? That's, huh? <laughs> that came out later. <laughs> no, it was always there. It just took on a different form. And see, low self-esteem also breeds insecurity. It also breeds entitlement. You're not recognizing me. Right. You know, it, it gets kind of complicated, but it all starts from when you're younger, but it takes on a different form. You see, and as you go through, then it starts to pop up because the more experience you have, the more knowledge you have, the more you are able to see things that you wouldn't see when you're young. Now, uh, imagine the age that you are now going back in time and trying to talk to that 12 year old. How, how far do you think you would get? Not very far. Not very far, why? Because now you have all this experience. Nothing beats experience, nothing. You know, so that's why they say youth is wasted on the young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should uh, get back into it. Well, I actually found another martial art called called Sistema. It's a Russian Russian martial arts. Okay. And it's um, it combines Greek orthodoxy and Russian orthodoxy with uh, with martial arts. So it's like I got into that, and I'm just like absolutely blown away by some of the stuff because it it has the Budo aspect of martial arts we have no belt system we have no ranking system we have no tournaments and i'm like this is martial arts this is what you want so that's what you got yep. okay because you know why you were ready for it now you weren't ready for it when you were hiding in your room no so there's the there's the gift so that's what we have to tell everybody or well, your audience hey man get out of your room look at the gift you that's waiting for you that's a Big, beautiful gift. There you go. Look at the smile it gives you on your face. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we actually touched up quite a bit on gut health and how it actually tr really helps improve mental health. Let's dive into a little bit of the... Let's get a little nerdy here and dive into a little science with this stuff. So how does like gut health improve mental health? 
Okay, well, we said earlier that dopamine and serotonin is manufactured in the gut. Autoimmune diseases also come from the gut. Everybody used to think bacteria is bad. No, there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. You know, when you take antibiotics, it kills all the bacteria and throws your body out of homeostasis. Most people don't understand that. So like I said earlier that, you know, the, the, the dopamine and serotonin goes up what is called the vagus nerve into the brain. So if your gut's out of whack, your brain's gonna be out of whack. It's that simple. There's a, there's a group of doctors, about 85 of them, that did a series is called The Broken Brain. Very interesting series. And a lot of gut issues that people have, okay, because of their diet, excuse me, because of them not taking care of themselves. People need to take at least 50 billion probiotics, that's number one, and make sure it's done with a GP, GMP lab which is a third party to oversee the manufacturing habits of the company. Make sure you're taking a probiotic and a prebiotic. Prebiotic is the rain, probiotic is the seed, because when you take probiotics, eventually that, probi that, that bacteria dies unless you feed it with prebiotics, psyllium husk, all that kind of stuff, all right? Then when you eat, you take enzymes. So the enzymes helps break down your food and it helps to, for the nutrients to get assimilated into your body. So you need to really take care of your gut. But some of the things that destroy the gut, I'll give you an example, um, rice, okay? You know what you get out of rice besides rice? Nothing, gluten. No, you get arsenic. Look it up. I didn't think I tell anybody, don't believe me. Please tell your audience, I don't want you to believe a word I tell you, go look it up. Yep, they found a lot of arsenic in rice. Wow. It's really interesting, I never knew that, but I found that out. So you gotta be careful what you're eating, even the nutrients that you take, you gotta be careful there's any heavy metals in those nutrients. Because heavy metals stay in your body and you have to chelate them out. Now there's different ways to chelate. You can get IVs to chelate, okay? Or you can do Calora. Uh, it's a certain herb that can uh, help you get it out, but you have to get it out. So yeah, the gut is extremely important. They don't feed it sugar, you know? Um, if you ever seen how sugar was made with the chemicals that are in it, it's unbelievable. That's why it's so bad also. And it comes in different forms. So, you know, they trick the public, you know? Is there a difference between regular, like obviously regular sugar is like oh, just brown poison. sugar, you're gonna tell me? Well, no, not even brown sugar. I'm more like thinking like uh, sugar cane. Well, sugar cane is a pure form of sugar. It may not be as bad as the other sugar, but you know, it's a real good substitute sugar, stevia, but a certain kind. It's called cow, okay? It's liquid, and it doesn't have that funny aftertaste. And it's sweet. So if you have a, you know, and those people who crave sugars, they have a chromium deficiency. Remember, we're, we're made of chemicals too, and bacteria. So when it's out of balance, the body craves certain things. And it's a chain reaction, what goes on. 
Remove one thing, you move nine. Yeah. Is there a go-to diet that you use? Well, the best, you know, I'm not the greatest when it comes to diets myself, okay, to be honest. I'm so, oh, you have a great diet. I know what to do. Look, you know, I, every once in a while, I like a nice piece of meat, you know. Um, well, most of the time, I want grass-fed meat, you know, if I can get it. Uh, we, we actually shop at Whole Foods and do the best organic we can do. And, but we don't really know if it's organic or not, even though it says it's organic. So, you know, it's so hard. You know, it, you, if you move to Greece, okay, you're better off because the food's going to be a hell of a lot better because you, you take, have you ever eaten, I've been to Europe a bunch of times. You ever eat a tomato in Europe and then eat a tomato here? You think you, you, you're eating a fruit from, uh, from Mars in the United States, Okay. <laughs> It's like I night remember, and day. I remember the chickens from my grandmother's house to I, chicken here. It's night and day difference. It's not a chicken. It's a it's it's a chemical walking around. <laughs> but I mean, it's like crazy. You know what we did to our food supply is is insane. Okay, which we wanted to prolong the the shelf life, and we destroyed everything. Like I see you drink a bottle of water. I'll give you an example. Okay. We all, if people drink bottled water, they go, well, I wouldn't drink any other water but bottled water. Okay, first of all, you don't even know where the bottled water comes from. That's another issue. Okay, secondly, all right, which is very interesting, you do shower. Uh, some people take baths. Uh, your body's drinking water that way. So if your house is not filtrated, okay, from where it comes in, uh, you have it all the bad crap that's in our water supply too. So you can drink bottled water all day long. It doesn't even matter. You got to watch out. I have reverse osmosis in my house also. And I have a filtration system. But a lot of people can't afford that. So you do the best you can to make sure you see where the water comes from, what you know, what well and what, what brand. I mean, like I said, the wealthy people that are into health stay healthy. You know, and us people that have no money, we do the best we can with what we have. Yeah. Uh, you also talked about something of uh, removing heavy metals from your body. Now, there's so many different types of detoxes out there that people can do to remove heavy metals. And when you do remove them, you feel so much better because I've done a couple and I feel gr I felt great right after problem is they keep coming back how do you uh how do you fix that like to, to 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 remove the heavy metal and keep it out well first of all first you have to know where you're getting it from like we just talked about rice okay um certain fish swordfish um has mercury in it and there's different kinds of fish. There's all kinds of stuff on the internet. You can find out which is what, you know, and what to eat or not to eat. Um, I also, have, I have two from karate, doing it for 60 years. I have two hip replacements. And thank God I, I do heavy metal testing. I have cobalt uh, poisoning in my body from the implant. It's a titanium and cobalt implant. So what happens is it leaches into my body. 
and it can cause all kinds of havoc. So what I do is I do chelation, I do glutathione uh, IV, and I also do suppositories that have chelation in it, that are chelators. And that's what I do. So you have to learn where you're getting it from, then you have to take care of it. Okay, cool, cool. Um, Cause all this kind of stuff actually like heavy metals, it actually amplifies stuff uh, psychologically, especially when yes, it comes to mental health. Yes, it interferes health. with neurotransmission, yeah. yeah. Depression and anxiety. Um, you know, allergies do that too, cause depression, anxiety. Low thyroid also causes depression and anxiety. I knew about the low thyroid, but not about the allergies. That's quite interesting because I've been suffering from allergies personally. I can only speak about myself, right? So uh, since I was a child, like I remember my springtime was havoc for me. But so. there's different kinds of allergies, okay? And let's say you got allergic to peanuts. You give a guy peanuts, they go into shock. They need an EpiPen, right? Yeah. So why not think that allergies can cause also cause depression? Yeah, no, you're I absolutely mean, right. It's crazy the stuff that like I found out with things. You know, um, I'm I'm going to be seventy five. I don't take any medications. I work out. I fight. Listen. I probably, I tell my wife, we laugh sometimes. I says, yeah, I'll probably get hit by a bus. <laughs> but I do the best, the best I can. I think, you know, I did stem, stem cells. And I also, I'm, I'm into all that. I'm into um, stem cells, exosomes. You know what exosomes are? No. Okay. Exosomes are the bubbles that come off a stem cell wall. And they're, they're RNA messengers. They, they send the instructions to the next cell. Okay. That's what exosomes are. And the exosomes I get is from uh, umbilical cord. And you get it through IV. And it helps with inflammation. Inflammation is the one thing that causes havoc in our body. Yeah. See? So I do that. I did stem cells with uh, the University of Miami School of Medicine. I had a program and I got into it that it's stem cells from a 30 year old. See, my stem cells are too, too old. So the 30 year old stem cells mix with my stem cells and bring them, brings them, makes them younger. So, you know, in your mind, in your brain, you have certain little switches that go on and off when we age, you know, that's why your hormone levels change and your whole ecology of your body changes as we age. And then there's a call, a thing called sentient cells or zombie cells, they call it. Now, what is that? These are cells that they don't die completely. So they're not functioning properly, but they're still around and they clog up the works. I mean, I, I love knowledge. So I'm into all this stuff. And I work with 20, I, I work with scientists and researchers from 25 universities on all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I learned stuff that I'm saying, oh my God, how am I going to do all this stuff? I do the best I can. Yeah. But your mindset is really important. Your mind is very important because believe it or not, your thoughts can create health. 
that can also be translated through self-talk as well. Right. That's why I said your thoughts. Yeah. Because I, re I remember when I was suffering from depression, these conversations that I would have with myself when I would see myself in the morning was in the lines of, I fucking hate you. I wish you were dead. Uh, I, I can't stand you anymore. How important is it? That, I know we've touched up quite a bit on this, but how can someone actually just start? Because it's one thing to, 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 to change the conversation. It's another thing to believe that that conversation. I'm glad you said that. Okay, here's the thing. Look at what it takes to believe something. First, you have to understand it, right? So you can't believe something you don't even understand sometimes, you know? What I suggest people do, and again, my, my clients that suffer from depression, I said, look, when you're feeling whatever you're feeling and thinking whatever you're thinking, I want you to write it down. Bring it out into the world. Okay, keep a log of what you're thinking about and then give it a couple of days and then go back and read it. They know what you're gonna say? What the hell's wrong with me? You know, oh shit, I said that? Oh man, that's how you do it. Okay. And you have positive affirmations because it's kind of hard to have a positive affirmation when you go, yeah, all right, here's a positive affirmation. I'm not gonna dump this, I'm that. And you don't believe in it, so it's just like words. But when yeah. you see what you're doing, that turns into positive affirmations. Absolutely. That's just my suggestion. No, that, that's a great suggestion because it's it's so true. Like when you bring it out into the world and you know, you can you can see it for yourself, which is why I believe also that exercise is also very powerful. Paramount, paramount exercise. Because when you can see your body changing, it will also change your mindset as well. Do you, do you believe that? Okay. Now, let me explain something about exercise. I'm also an exercise trainer too. I've done so much stuff, forget about it. Exercise alone does not change your body. 90% diet, 10% exercise. And that's a fact. So, you know, what you got to do is you have to, it has to go hand in hand. You know, you get people that exercise and they're still the same way they were when they started years ago. You know, I, I don't understand why I can't lose my belly. Well, maybe you shouldn't stuff your belly with all the crap that you're eating. <laughs> right? Totally agree with that. So, I mean, come on, man. You know, poor guy's running on a treadmill and he's got a hot dog in front of him and chasing the hot dog. <laughs> There's, I, sorry, just a, there's a, there's a gym here in Toronto that they actually have, which all the gyms are closed by the way, but when they were open, they were having um, every second Monday, they were have like pizza day. And it's like, wh wh what, what <laughs> you can have all you can eat pizza. Just come into the gym, <laughs> right? Come into the gym and work the pizza off. <laughs> it's called the pizza workout. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, the joke is when you have a guy that's overweight, would you take his favorite food and get a, like a like a fishing rod and put it in front of him and let him chase the food? You know, so that's how you can help yourself. But don't eat the food. Oh, uh, this is this is awesome. I mean, I John, I can talk to you for hours upon hours. Um, but 
I, I appreciate your time. So we're going to be cut, wrapping up the show in just a little bit. Okay. Uh, before we do, I want to, I want to ask you these six or seven questions that I ask all my guests just to get your feedback on it and just to get your point of view. Uh, with the increase in people suffering from the depression, from depression, from the constant lockdowns, opening up lockdown again, what could, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Well, let me tell you, I was on lockdown too, because my wife has a kidney transplant that our daughter gave her the kidney. So I had to be real careful. She had to be real careful. What I did was I wind up writing a, my book. I wind up doing, calling my friends and doing all kinds of different things that I wanted to do. I wound up cleaning places that I didn't clean before, straightening out my office. I got more stuff done, okay, than I ever got done. And then I started learning how to appreciate walking and, and looking at the plants and the trees. And, you know, I didn't have to be in crowds, you know, it was safety first. But you change your mindset, man, okay? Now, you can look at it as, you know, oh, God, I can't do it. Look, when we go out, what are we doing? trying to do is get a distraction, okay? Oh, I want to have fun. You know, you want to have fun. Start thinking about fun. Do things in your home. You have all kinds of fun. Okay? People don't do that. Okay? We always need to go someplace to have fun. No. Fun is a state of mind. Left is a state of mind. Change your state. With you, you want to go to Greece. <laughs> anyway. All right, go ahead. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Wait the way, I never look five years ahead. I, I see myself a moment at a time. I don't like living in the future because then you can, you know, then you can get disappointed. So I just look where my feet are and that's what, that's my future. That's awesome. That's really awesome. <laughs> uh, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Nothing. You know why? Everything that happened to my life brought me right where I am today. I don't want to change a thing. Good, bad, and indifferent. That's really, 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 really good. Really good. I love that answer. <laughs> what scares you? What scares me? No, oh. going in the ocean with sharks. But I don't go in the ocean, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, where can people find more about you? They can go to John, the letter J, Giordano.com. That's G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O. If you want to know about my life story and what I do and where I went through, go to uh, Amazon. You can get my book, The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. And we will post all your links with the show notes so everybody has easy access to your content and to reach out to you too if they need help. Cool. Um, any final thoughts? 
Uh, yes, I really appreciate what you're doing. And you came out of your room, and now you're in a different room, but you now you got a headset on. So, <laughs> but you're not feeling like you were. So you're helping people, and you're bringing guests on that share their experience, strength, and hope. And you're doing, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing God's work. What better height than that, man? There is no better. Nope. Uh, thank you so much, John, for everything that we talked that, that 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 we talked about here on this. And I've been like looking at your content, and it's just absolutely mind blowing. With uh, even your podcast, beat your addiction podcast, your books, your everything that you do for trying to help people get out of whatever crap that there's that there's going on uh, in this world. And at 75 years young, you are just kicking ass. So I am so grateful for you for all the hard work that you're actually putting through. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. By the way, it's not work. It's my life. I love that answer too. That's, that's so awesome. I love it. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world.